Amen. I'll invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And uh, this morning we'll be looking at verses 18 to 24. Um, I'll be reading these verses for us, and then really we're going to be considering all of chapters 3 to 6. Chapters 3 to 6, okay? So we are currently in a series in the book of Amos. And last week we looked at chapters 1 and 2. Uh, This week we'll look at chapters 3 through 6, Lord willing. Next week will be 7 through 9, and we'll complete our series. So Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 24 is what I'm going to read for us now. And if you don't have your Bible with you, or maybe you have your Bible and you think, I have no idea where Amos is, uh, there's a Bible, should be a Bible, close by you in one of the chairs, and you'll find our passage on page 765, page 765. So Amos chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Amos writes, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, To the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word that Amos has for us. We thank you for the word that you have given us through Amos. And it is a hard word. But it is a good word. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us humble hearts and open ears to hear. And, Father, we pray that as we receive the words of Amos, we would know the life that you have for us, that you want for us. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, last week we learned that Amos was a prophet to the nation of Israel, and Amos prophesied during a time when Israel was experiencing unusual military and religious and political strength. It was also a time of a great deal of religious activity, so there was a lot of religious activity taking place in the nation. However, despite Israel's religious activity, and despite the national prosperity that was occurring at that time, Amos delivers a message of judgment. And as we look at the book of the, as a whole, if we were to think about one verse that kind of encapsulates, summarizes the message of Amos, it would be this verse that we find here in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now what is justice? 
Last week, we took a little bit of time to define it. One author defines justice this way. I think this is a helpful definition, that justice means we treat people fairly, with equity. We give people their due, whether it is punishment, protection, or care. Justice has everything to do with how we treat others, especially the least of those among us. And so Amos's vision for Israel is that righteousness and justice would flow deeply and it would flow freely in the hearts of God's people, that it would flow deeply and it would flow freely in the nation of Israel so that the nation would experience life and blessing. Unfortunately, though, Amos says that Israel has dammed up the river of God's justice so that the nation is scorched by injustice and despite their prosperity and despite all their religious activity, the nation is spiritually a wasteland. In this analysis, Amos essentially functions like an ecologist. Amos is taking assessment of the environment of the nation of Israel. And in so doing, Amos acknowledges that there was one time when there was a river that flowed through the nation of Israel and it flowed freely and it flowed deeply. And as a result, the nation experienced life. There was plants and trees and vegetation and wildlife. But that river has been obstructed now. It's been clogged up. And the land is scorched and barren. Well, In his assessment, Amos seeks to determine what has caused this river of life to be clogged up and dammed. And then Amos provides a cure so that the river might flow freely again and the nation might experience life and flourishing. So I want us to consider that. I want us to consider what are the causes that dried up the river and what is the cure that will cause the river to flow again. So first of all, Amos tells us the causes that have dried up the river. Look in chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. I read these verses earlier. Amos says, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Now, most people think, they assume that religion is a good thing. Right? Of course, people would assume that there's some religions that are better than other religions, but generally speaking, most people think religion is a good thing, and at the end of the day, it's better to be religious than to not be religious. But notice that Amos reveals to us here that God hates Israel's religious activity. Now, of course, there are many other passages in Scripture that 
in which we see God calling us to worship him, commanding us to worship him, inviting us to worship him, and he delights in our worship. But this was not so at this time in Israel's history. And it wasn't that Israel didn't go to church, because obviously from the passage they did. You see in the text that they had their solemn assemblies. They were gathering together for quote-unquote worship. They presented the Lord with offerings and with sacrifices. They sang songs and they played instruments and they read the Bible and they offered prayers. In modern-day terms, we would say they went to church all the time. They had been baptized. They took communion. They were members of the church. But as we will see... Their religion was merely external and outward. It had not penetrated their hearts so that it changed them and transformed them. And God was not having it. You see it there in the text in verses 21 to 23, the repeated denouncements that the Lord gives in regards to Israel's worship. He says, I hate it. I despise it. I take no delight in it. I will not accept it. I will not look on it. Take it away. I will not listen. Those are not my words. Every single one of those statements come from the text. Amos has something to say to us, right? The first cause for the river of God's life and justice being clogged and obstructed is empty, hollow religion and worship that is out external and outward but does not transform the heart. The second cause for the river being obstructed is that they love comfort and were apathetic about people. They love comfort and were apathetic about people. Now, it is obvious from the passage, from what Amos describes, that there were many in Israel in that day who were wealthy. And God condemns the wealthy through the prophet Amos for amassing houses for themselves. So in Amos chapter 3, verse 15, we read these words. The Lord says, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end. And Amos goes on to denounce the women of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of Israel. And in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, so Amos chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Amos says this, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God is sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord." Notice here in this passage, actually, for those who are familiar with the book of Amos, this is one of the most well-known passages in Amos, in part because it's so startling. Amos actually identifies the leading women of Samaria as cows of Bashan. Now, why would he do that? 
Well, Bashan was a region, an area during that time that was known for its fertile fields. And so the cows there ate a lot of grass and they ate good grass and they became healthy and fat. Now, I imagine if someone was serving you a steak and you started to eat it and you said, man, this steak is amazing. It must have come from one of the cows of Bashan. That would be a compliment, right? But if a holy and righteous prophet of God denounces sophisticated fine women as being cows of Bashan, that's not a compliment. Amos is decrying and denouncing their self-indulgence, their love and obsession for comfort. And he says, he prophesies that because they love comfort and are apathetic towards people, there is coming a day when they will be led into captivity with a hook in their nose. This was actually a common practice of the Assyrian army when they captured a nation that the captives would be hooked in the nose with a hook and then there would be a rope along that hook and they would be led astray into captivity. As one commentator says, quote, they who have treated other people like animals will now reap what they have sown, end of quote. But there's more on this point. You turn to Amos chapter 6, verses 3 to 6, we read these words. Amos chapter 6, verse 3. O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And there's the connection between an obsession with comfort and an apathy towards people. There's the connection. They enjoy these comforts, but in chapter 6, verse 6, they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. In other words, their addiction to comfort has blinded them to the suffering of others. Now, we should acknowledge here that wealth in and of itself is not a sin. And the wealthy should not be demonized for simply being wealthy. That would be another form of injustice, right? We know from the Scriptures that the wealthy can glorify God by enjoying the blessings that the Lord has given them and then using those blessings to bless and serve others. But Amos warns us here that with wealth comes real dangers. And Amos warns us that when we talk about injustice, one of the things that we need to be careful of is that it's especially easy for those who are in a position of authority or those who are in a position of power or those who are in a position of wealth to say, what injustice? I don't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, my friends, just because we might not see it or feel it or experience it in our own lives does not mean that it doesn't exist. 
You know, it's kind of like uh, some of y'all may have had this experience before, but like two brothers. One brother's older, you know, much bigger and stronger. And they like to wrestle and they like to fight. And especially the older brother likes to beat up on the younger brother. And so he'll like pin him down, you know, and he starts punching him in the arm. And the younger brother's like, stop, it hurts, it hurts, stop hitting me. And he's like, what do you mean? I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. Why are you making such a big deal about this? And Israel says, or Amos says, that the wealthy in Israel at this time are like that big brother. They are pummeling their brothers and sisters in Israel, but they are indifferent to their suffering. Amos teaches us that there is a form of injustice that sees nothing, that says nothing, that does nothing, that risks nothing. And folks who practice this form of injustice, oftentimes their refrain is, what injustice? I don't know what you're talking about. The third cause of the river of justice being obstructed is that they neglected justice. So their empty worship, their love for comfort and neglect of others or apathy towards others, and then they neglected justice. We could say it this way, they neglected love for their neighbor. They did not love their neighbors as themselves. And Amos decries the women of Samaria in particular for oppressing the poor. So if you turn back to Amos chapter 4 verse 1, we read these words. I read them before. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. And then Amos goes on to rebuke Israel because they have no taste for those who speak the truth and righteousness. And as a result, they take advantage of the poor. So in Amos chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Amos says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Amos goes on to say, because of this unrighteousness in Israel, it's like everything in the nation has been turned upside down. And so in Amos chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Amos chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? Here it is. But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. In other words, what is to bring life and what is to bring renewal has actually been turned into bitterness and poison and has resulted in death. And of course, at this time in Israel, these deeds of injustice go unnoticed. They go uncorrected because they have become such a part of the culture of the nation. And so this is what is damming up the river of God's justice. It's empty religion. It's an obsession with comfort. It's an apathy towards the suffering of others. And it's a neglect of justice. 
And although the nation is prosperous and although the nation is full of religious activity, Amos says it is a wasteland when it comes to the justice and righteousness of God. And as a result, God's judgment is coming. Second, though, those are the causes of the just the river of God's justice being obstructed. But second, the cure that will cause the river to flow. The cure that will cause the river to flow. Turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And we read there in verses 4 to 7. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. And then go a little bit further in the chapter. Amos chapter 5 verses 14 to 15. Amos says, Seek God and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And so the cure, so that the river of God's life and the river of God's justice will flow through the nation of Israel, is that the people of God repent. That's the cure, repentance. And repentance involves turning from their sins and seeking the Lord. And you notice here that the prophet says, don't seek Gilgal, don't seek Belsheba, don't seek Bethel. These were places where they would go and perform their religious ceremonies. God says, I've had enough of that. I don't want your religious ceremonies. Forsake your empty religion and your superficial religious practices. Seek me and live. That's what he says in verse 4. And then he says again in verse 6, Seek Yahweh and live. Listen, my friends, we need to be careful here. We need to be careful not to over-spiritualize this. Because one, one danger when we hear Amos' admonition here is to think, okay, I'm to seek the Lord and I will experience His life. Okay, so I need to do more religious observance, right? I need to do it more earnestly. But at least in this context, in what's happening in the nation of Israel at this time, that's not what Amos is calling the nation to. Amos rather is saying that the true expression of their repentance, the true expression that they are genuinely seeking the Lord, is a change in the way that they relate to others, especially to the least among them. Notice it. We see the parallelism in these verses. Notice in chapter 5, verse 4, Seek me and live. It's stated again. It's a parallel statement in verse 6. Seek Yahweh and live. Chapter 5, verse 14, What does it mean to seek Yahweh and live? Seek good and not evil that you may live. And then he unpacks it further in verse 15. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. 
What does it mean to seek the Lord for Israel? It means to transform the way they relate to others. James Boyce, Christian pastor and theologian, writes these words, quote, There is no seeking after God that is not at the same time a seeking after good and shunning of evil. He goes on to say, There is no seeking after God that is not at the same time a seeking after justice. Anything else is hypocrisy, end of quote. And so here's the cure. To seek God means to abandon empty worship. To seek God means to love and care for people and not just our own comfort. To seek God means to find joy in establishing justice and to treat all with fairness and equity, especially the least among us. And Amos promises, if you do so, you will live. And it may be that God would be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Oh, my friends, praise God that by God's grace, there is always a remnant. There is always a remnant of God's true people who seek the Lord in righteousness and experience His life and His blessing. You know, one of the things that's so scary about the book of Amos... Amos, honestly, is a scary book. One of the things that's so scary about the book of Amos is that Israel had arrived at a point in their history where their injustice was happily wedded with their religious activity. And the two were so mingled together that it was almost as though you could not make a distinction between the two. I wonder, have we ever known any times in history when injustice existed peacefully with popular religion? My friends, if there was ever a time when religious ceremony and practices were meticulously observed, it was during the time of Jesus. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were meticulous in their religious observance. You know, it's, it's remarkable as we read the account of Jesus being crucified in the Gospels. Even when the religious leaders determined that they were going to take Jesus out, they did so with great care in, to ensure that they themselves would not be tainted in any way and become ceremonially unclean. So, after they falsely accused Jesus and brought him before Pilate in order to suggest that Jesus would be crucified, the religious leaders were careful to stand outside the quarters of Pilate so that they would not become ceremonially unclean and be unable to participate in the religious festival, namely Passover. In addition to that, as Jesus hung on the cross and as he died, the religious leaders were careful to ensure that Jesus would die and that his corpse would be removed from the cross just in time that Sabbath had not come because if a corpse, a dead corpse, was hanging on a tree, it would defile Sabbath. Oh, my friends, the wickedness. The wickedness. 
And like Amos, Jesus, who is the greater Amos, who is the true prophet of God, regularly decried the false religion of the religious leaders in his day. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. These are their little spices and they made sure they tithe every little bit all the way down to every little grain. But Jesus says, you have neglected the, ma- the weightier matters of the law, namely justice and mercy and faithfulness. Therefore, you ought to have done these without neglecting the others. You know, this year marks the 500 year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. We think about the time just previous to the Protestant Reformation, what were things like among the people of God during that time? The quote-unquote people of God. It was a dark time in the life of the church. At that time, the Roman Catholic Church was teaching that men and women should contribute to the church in order to build elaborate cathedrals. And the idea was, what the church taught was, if you give your money to build these elaborate cathedrals, then you will purchase for yourself years of freedom from purgatory, which was essentially like a temporary hell. So the church taught the people, poor people included, give your money, give your money, and you will position yourself to be in a better place to spend eternity with God. They built their religious institutions on the backs of the poor. Martin Luther, a young monk, railed against this false religion. Martin Luther said in one place, quote, Every teacher of works righteousness is a troublemaker. The Pope, the cardinals, the bishops, the monks, and that whole synagogue of Satan are troublemakers. They are worse than false apostles. The false apostles in Galatia taught that in addition to faith in Christ, the works of the law of God were necessary unto salvation, but the papists omit faith altogether and teach self-devised traditions and works that are not commanded by God, end of quote. And then Luther proclaimed boldly the true gospel of Jesus Christ that we are saved freely, not by our works, but by the grace and mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ and His atoning work. And my friends, we could almost hear the angels in heaven singing, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Thousands and millions of people found hope and the grace and mercy that is in Jesus Christ. Of course, these words were spoken, that it were spoken by Amos, have been immortalized in our nation's history. When Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to a nation that was steeped in religious activity, but was also willing to turn a blind eye to the injustices of segregation, which resulted in the devaluing and isolation of an entire people. Calling out to the hypocrisy of churches that would gather for worship while shutting their door to fellow image bearers, Martin Luther King Jr. declared from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, 
we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And then Martin Luther King Jr. announced those famous words, which I am sure are etched in the memories and hearts of so many of us. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the conduct of their character. And by God's grace, a nation was not perfected, but was transformed, for which we give God glory. And my friends, today the church must continue to speak against injustice and to work for righteousness. We must work and speak against all forms of racism in any form, whether it find its place in the heart of a white man or a white woman or a black man or a black woman or any ethnicity, all racism should be denounced. And we as a church must work and speak against the senseless taking of the unborn life in a mother's womb. And we as a church must work and speak for the selling, against the selling of women and children into the sex industry, which robs them of their dignity and humanity. And we as the church must work and speak against the fleecing of the poor by deceptive business practices and systems and structures that are designed to take advantage of the vulnerable. And we as a church must work and speak against the mistreatment of children when little ones are trapped in homes where they are abused and neglected or left to themselves without families where they do not receive proper care and protection. And my friends, those are just a few injustices in our own nation. There are thousands of others across the world where people suffer under the injustices of sin and fallenness. And listen, my friends, this is so important for us to get. The prophet Amos declares to us that as we announce the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is our primary calling, as we announce this good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we cannot turn a blind eye to these other injustices. We cannot ignore them and then rightfully call ourselves the people of God. The Scriptures and a true embrace of the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we cry out with Amos to a broken world and even to the church when necessary, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The people of God, one of the things that marks them is they love the justice of God. And they want to see God's justice applied in their own lives, in their community, and to the world. So what is our hope that this would ever happen? What is our hope that this would ever happen? Well, my friends, we must be sober and realistic. As we work for justice in this life, we recognize that in this life, as we work for justice, by God's grace, we will often make a difference 
But justice will never finally be realized in this life. We will always have injustice in this world because we are sinful and we are broken. But the Bible tells us that there is coming a day when Jesus will make all things new. And He will rule in righteousness and in justice. In fact, the Apostle John gives us a picture of that day. And John tells us that when Jesus rules and reigns, when He sits on His throne, that there will be a river of life that flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And that river of life will sustain the tree of life. And by the tree of life, the nations will be healed. In other words, when Jesus reigns, the river of God's justice will flow freely. And the injustices of this world will finally be washed away and all nations will be healed. My friends, do you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world to establish His kingdom now and ultimately His kingdom that will come? Well, for all those who trust in Jesus as the Lamb who was sacrificed for their sins and yield to Him as Lord, they will enjoy and know the blessing of Jesus' just and righteous reign forever. If you have not confessed Him, if you have not trusted in Him, if you have not yielded to Him, I hope that you will do so even this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. Lord, help us to be a people who love You, who love Your truth. And then, Father, help us to understand that to love You and to love Your truth is to love others. Lord, we pray that You would help us to know what that looks like in our own lives. It's, It's going to look different in different people's lives. There's no way any of us or even us as a church could address all the injustices that we see in this world or around us. Father, we know that as you work in us by your Spirit, there are particular opportunities that each of us have to bear witness to the Gospel and to show your love to others. We pray that you would give us the grace and the courage and the love to do so. Father, we pray in our own hearts and we pray for our church that truly justice would flow. Lord, that we would be a people who are right before you, a people that you delight in as we love you and we love others. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.